Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity, and I'm your host, Gary Turner. I'm also the founder of HexoChange, and HexoChange is a transformational change practice dedicated to helping you connect to yourself, to others, and to systems at large in a more meaningful way, thus helping us turn around our workplace and planetary challenges and accelerating how alive we all feel in every aspect of our lives. This track is called Kaleidoscope and was created for me personally and for HexoChange by Peter Griffiths, one half of the amazing Mind Takeaway. I hope you enjoy this exploration and please do share it on your social platforms so we can bring more humanity to more people. Hope to speak to you soon. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. Today, I'm grateful to welcome Heather onto the podcast. Hello, Heather. Hello. It's awesome to be here. Thank you very much. So just as we get going, would you mind giving a bit more background to yourself, you know, what you do for work and what you're passionate about, Heather? That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's always a tough question and knowing where to start. But in general, what I would say is my work is all around awakening the souls of leaders and organizations. And that takes a variety of forms in terms of executive coaching. So leaders who understand that they need to do the inner work to be able to lead teams differently. So coaching in that space, as well as some organizational consulting. And historically, I grew up in the healthcare industry, actually. So my entire career has been working in that industry and specifically with physicians for a large proportion of that. And jumped out on my own about two, almost three years now. And so I have broadened the industries that I work with. Um, but what am I passionate about? Um, I, I guess I'm passionate about creating a, a different way of work. And, you know, that's a really broad way of saying that I think um, we all have a chance to interact differently in our work. I think work is a beautiful place for us to find meaning and identity and joy and passion. And we spend so much time involved in our work that I feel called to be able to transform that in some way, shape or form to better serve us. Well, that's really powerful. Do you want me asking what, what was it? What was the trigger for you? What, what said to Heather one day, actually, I need to set up on my own. I've got to do this. Where where did that come from? Oh, so this is, um, you know, we were just talking a little bit about a midlife awakening and this was a bit of a, I would call it a crisis for me. It just was, uh, I had climbed the corporate ladder, um, everything that I thought to achieve the success that I wanted to achieve, everything as like a little girl I had striven, strove to achieve. And then I got there, like I got the job and I got everything that I thought I wanted. And it dawned on me that I was miserable and I was sick and I was exhausted and everyone around me was. And the way in which we were working was not serving anyone. <laughs> and I, uh, we were, my husband and I were on our way. We were moving out of the city into a different city and he, I flew out and he was driving out and he called and I'm like, babe, I got to resign. I can't do this anymore. And so there was a, a pretty massive calling within me that was unrecognizable. Like I didn't, I didn't have words to give it up until that point. I knew that there was this kind of wrestling internally within me that something's not right. Um, but it took um, a promotion, actually. It took a promotion to that ideal job that I was striving for to, to show me something different. And so at that point, 
I resigned, which ended up having Colby, my husband, resign as well from his corporate gig. And we both jumped out into a world and kind of found ways to heal and redesign the life we want to live. And, um, and that has led me to do the work I'm doing today in terms of helping people design better ways of work. Cool. That's really powerful. So you, your business is called, is it Untethered Cult um, Consulting, Heather? It is Untethered, yes. Yeah, where did that name come from, out of interest? <laughs> yeah. So there is an author, Michael Singer, who wrote the book, The Untethered Soul. And probably a year before this all went down, I had read that book and I, it just resonated with me um, at such a level, like just electricity. And I was just like, what? Like there is a different dimension here that is calling me to do something. And I didn't know what it was. And, you know, I had wrestled with naming this, this organization for almost nine months, trying to think of, you know, it's a harder thing than I thought it was going to be. Anyways, it finally just dawned on me that untethered is exactly what it is. Like we need to let go of a lot of our attachments and our beliefs that have got us to this point because it's not going to, it's not going to be the thing that takes us forward. And so it was a combination of Michael Singer's work as well as this knowing within me, uh, frankly, that I need to let go. I need to untether um, too many of the things that were holding me back. Oh, really cool. Now, thank you for explaining that. That's a really, yeah. yeah, I can really visualize that. That's, that's really cool. <laughs> really, really cool. It really resonates a lot for me as well, as you, as you know. So I've had my own midlife awakening the last... Yeah sort of six, six, six to 12 months in particular, actually, and just this, and I don't mind saying it on this podcast, this awareness that actually even what white male privileges, Heather, honestly, it's completely transformed how I yeah. see what I should be doing and how I should show up in the world. And it's a really, it's empowering, a bit scary, but quite empowering, is it, when you do start to untether? Because it's sort of safe. Yeah. It feels safe, although you're playing small. Yeah, it's safe. It's comfortable. It's what we know. It's the status quo. And the moment we step outside of that into that river of change, everything, everything feels different and scary and <laughs> unfamiliar. So it's kind of that, uh, you know, the, the, you know, we're almost more scared of the things we know than the misery that we do know. So I can absolutely resonate with where you're at. Brilliant. And hopefully we continue on this nice journey forward, which I'm sure we will. Yes. Um, I want to get into, if I may, a bit about the book, because you very kindly made me aware of when we, we first had our chat a couple of months ago, that you'd written this an evolved executive book, which I have to put it out there. Go and get it. <laughs> this is not just a, I'm not being paid. It's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant book, which I put a review on Goodreads for. Thank where, did you. That, where did that originate from? And was it something that was already in your mind when you set up your business? Or was it something that came after you setting up your business, Heather? No, it, um, I fought it tooth and nail, actually. So the uh, little vulnerability in this story. So I, I did my PhD and I finished it up back in 2011 and swore to myself that I would never do it again. I would never write a book because, you know, going through your PhD, your dissertation, it's, it's one of the most challenging tasks ever. And I, and I kindly talk about it as permanent head damage. So I, I had made a vow to myself that I, I'm not going to do that again. I can share my, my thoughts in much different ways. And I was working with a client who was interested in writing a book and found this awesome company called Scribe Media. And Scribe Media, I found them because of how they interact with the world. They're trying to create the best gig in the gig economy. And so they're 
they're wiring their organization from a much more human place, much more um, uh, authentic and embracing and um, valuing place. And so I found them because I was doing research on organizations that were doing really good work. And they've, they happen to have thrown the publishing process on its head. And so helping authors bring wisdom to the world. And so I gave my client this kind of recommendation said, Hey, go write your book. This is going to be fantastic. And my client's like, you know, you should probably write your book. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to write the book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I got to know Scribe, the founders a little bit better. And they're like, you know, you have a book in you. And I'm like, no, don't have a book in me. (laughs) And um, it's, it's a decent investment. To, to do the process. And I use that as a little bit of a kind of a showstopper. Like, I don't want to invest my money in that right now. And I don't want to do it. So no, I'm not going to do it. And then I got a check in the mail for the exact amount of money, 83 cents more than the amounts to do the book. And it was, it was a pension that had defunded and I didn't realize I had it. And so it was literally like this gift from the universe. And I was like, no. <laughs> I don't want to write this book. And Colby, my husband's like, you have to, you know, you know what happens when you, you know, completely disregard the universe. And so I, I call myself like this, uh, I don't know. I just didn't want to be an author, but actually through the process, I learned that it was something that I have needed to put words to. I tried to do my dissertation in 2011 on love at work and my committee chair was like, no, you can't talk about love at work. Are you crazy? (laughs) So I kind of put it away and didn't really think about it again. And um, so through the chain of those events, it was like, okay, I'm writing this book. I don't really want to write this book, but I'm going to write this book. And it ended up being just this almost cathartic experience of when you actually put the words together and put the story together and put yourself out there. I mean, you've read this, the book and you, I put some of my own struggles in the book and that's a hard thing to do and something that you're doing right now. So, um, and then the executive was the title itself. I knew that it had to be the future of work is love and action. And my public, my publisher was like, that can't be the title, but it can be the subtitle and evolved executive actually just came to me one day after a meditation. I'm like, Oh, of course it's a, it's evolved executive. So that's kind of how the book came about. That is very, very cool. And how has it been received so far? Sort of where, what's the reach been? How have you, what sort of conversations are happening on the back of it currently? Yeah. So I've had a pretty incredible few months here. So it launched in July and had some really great reach in terms of some fun publications. And you can check that out all on my website if you wanted to dive a little bit deeper. Um, But to the heart of your question, I think it's been received well and I have a caveat there in terms of, I think there's only a small group of people that are going to pick up this book. When you see love in the title, like the future of work is love and action. There has to be something within you that says the way that we're working today doesn't work. So we need to infuse it with something else. And also this wiring around the fact that love, we can actually talk about love. And so I think the people that are picking up the book are, are open to the book and when they dive into it, it resonates naturally because it's almost like a, it's not like I'm really teaching something new. It's almost like I'm just triggering 
something that people already know that maybe they haven't given words to themselves. And so it's been a really fun conversation as people have, have been like, I couldn't agree more. You know, I haven't said it and I haven't found a workplace that really, you know, appreciates that, but I absolutely agree. And so it's been fun to find this network. It's almost like this little love tribe that's showing up that says we're on a revolution to create something different. So let's do this. Oh, that's, that's absolutely awesome. I think just, just to use one of the stats, if I can maybe talk yeah. about that briefly. So you, you, you actually reference Umbrella Sosodia's firms of endearment in your, in your book. And I think for anyone that may not have, maybe listening to this or they're speaking yeah. to someone about leadership and how can we improve performance, let me just put it out there. An eight to one ratio for love-based yeah. organizations versus more fear-based. Surely people would want some of that wouldn't they, Heather? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when I ran across that stat, it was just incredible to have the data. The actual data, like a longitudinal study that is tracking organizations that really, um, Raj doesn't speak to it so much as love in that book, he does now, um, but he talks about it of, as endearment. So organizations that care about people and their community and their planets and are doing drastic things to make sure those measures are true. And so I think they have like 12 criteria that you need to meet to be this endearing organization. And so to track those over time against kind of the traditional S&P 500 and to find that level of difference in terms of overall performance is outstanding because I think intuitively we know that they work better um, and people enjoy being there more and they uh, help our world more, but we didn't have the data to go along with it. So I, I actually met Raj at an event here in Colorado the very end of October and I got to kind of headline for him. And afterwards I just, you know, I had to, spend some time and just be like, oh my God, thank you for doing the work that you were doing. Because without that, you know, the, the hard data is what actually sells some of these tough conversations. So it's been, yes. So that stat is huge. So thank you for bringing that up. Well, no, it's, it's important. You know, you, you've done the hard work of putting the book together. It's, it's interesting. I was actually really grateful to have Raj onto this podcast a couple of oh, episodes back. Beautiful. Um, and it was really interesting because you know, whether it be love, whether it be, you know, his new healing organization that he's looking yes. at. This, the momentum is palpable, isn't it, Heather? And that's, yeah. that's what I'm excited about. This isn't just a discussion. It's not just a, yeah. it's not a soundbite. There feels mm -hmm. to be a very tangible movement starting to evolve. Yeah. Is that yeah. how you see it as well? Oh, yeah, like electrifying. So we were in a room about 60 folks and I was speaking about love at work and Raj came on right after talking about the role of organizations are healing. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. And everyone in the room, their eyes kind of light up and they're like, but how do we do this? But how does this happen? And what do I do if my CEO doesn't align to this at all? You know, so there's this immediate, like, of course, this is what we're supposed to be doing. But um, I think kind of the, the reality of it sometimes is that sometimes we're so stuck in what we know and a little bit about what you were saying in terms of privilege and kind of the material world that it's hard to strip those things back and say let's redesign from scratch and I think that's a lot of what Raj is talking about as well. Mm. I think, I think so, something that's closely linked to this for me actually around the sort of awareness piece something else that you you mentioned in your book which I really liked was you spoke about you could, your, the organization, your organization's awareness and consciousness can only yeah. be 
the same or, or capped at the same as the leaders of the organization or some yeah. sort of effect. That's really exactly. powerful for me. That yeah. Was that something that you researched? Was that something you came across sort of in your own, yeah. was that your own interpretation, Heather, out of interest? Yeah, so that is the work of Frederick Lelou, so Reinventing Organizations, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And it was similar to me. When I read that, I'm like, of course, that's how that works. You know, the level of consciousness can only, can only match that as the level of consciousness of its highest leader. And I think we've ex I've experienced that in the, in the corporate spaces that I've been, whether it's my boss or the CEO, what, you realize that you're only going to progress to that level because that's kind of the, the nature of evolution or ascension, right? You can only, uh, they're, they're, they're creating the container for us. They're creating the space for us, the environment, the climate, the culture. Mm -hmm. And so there's natural barriers around that. And, you know, along those lines, it's been interesting as I've jumped out for the last two years, people have asked, you know, would you be willing to come work for us? Or would you be willing to go back? Or have you thought about going back to corporate America? And it's this exact statement that continually keeps me in check in terms of, I don't know where my path is leading. I mean, frankly, but I do know that if I ever jump back into an organization, I am going to be really, really sure that I know what I'm jumping into in terms of the leadership and it's um, really authentic. I think there's a ton of like culture washing going on in terms of culture is marketed as one way and lived in a much different way and being able to see through that is, is tough. So in some ways I, I feel like I'm completely unemployable <laughs> um, and would find it hard to go back to corporate America, but I have a lot of hope for emerging leaders who are wanting to do things differently and holding the space. And I think we've got some good case studies for folks that are doing that. Mm. If I may make a comment, Heather, I don't think you're going back to corporate America anytime soon. I'm <laughs> hashtag just saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see though. Oh, yeah. there's too, too, too much for you to do. That's for sure. Um, if I, just to sort of segue into vulnerability a little bit, I appreciate that vulnerability can be seen as part of awareness to some extent. But if mm -hmm. you were going to define vulnerability for you to somebody else, you know, a cocktail party, for example, how would you describe vulnerability? Mm. You know, I, I might just define it as simply as letting yourself be seen. Mm. Um, and you know, other authors, Brene Brown, she's one of the best that I know on vulnerability and she speaks to it so much more eloquently. But in my own experience or my own life, vulnerability, um, when I find myself lacking vulnerability or I call it kind of putting up that heart shield, it's not wanting to be seen, not wanting to be heard, not wanting to be perceived as, you know, incompetent or you know, not at the top of my game or whatever it might be, instead of just being like, hey guys, this is who I am um, in all of my beautiful brokenness. And I love me for that. And I trust that others will do the same. How would you define it? Cool, that's really powerful. You got, you got me, oh, that, 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 that broke that beautiful brokenness. <laughs> I love that. No, I really love that. No, no for me, for me it's a very good coaching question. Thank you, Heather. Uh, <laughs> For me, and it might change, we're in the moment human beings, aren't we? So, so, but for me, it's around, a lot of it's just being true to yourself. For me, it's yeah. actually, which is similar to what you're saying, but it really is that, how can, how can you just be comfortable in your own skin genuinely? 
you know, mm-hmm. and just be you. And, like, and it's a really oversimplified statement. But what I mean by that is, you know, going into a meeting and actually challenging the status quo because you believe in something and being yeah. prepared to be mm-hmm. ignored, shouted down, you know, avoided because yeah. someone didn't like your view. But you just give it with from a place of love and care and you genuinely believe it's helpful. I just think it's having yeah. that confidence to so yeah. from a place of care and that therefore it's okay to, yeah. to lean in. Uh, it's a bit, bit of a babbled response. We're saying about leaning in, something about being true to yourself and something about yeah. just not overthinking yeah. what might happen if you, do, if you don't lean in or if you do lean yeah. in, this might happen. I, I think we overthink ourselves into so many challenges. Yeah. I don't know how that resonates with you. I, I love it. And I think as you were mentioning that, I think there's an element of vulnerability that really helps. And that is, um, if you're familiar with Don Miguel Ruiz's work on the four agreements, no, I'm not actually. He speaks to the needs to not take things personally in the space of everyone's life is kind of their own movie. And, um, you know, they're the, the main character of their own movie. And oftentimes they're projecting on us their own beliefs and their own assumptions. And exactly to your point about going into a meeting and being willing to speak your mind or your truth, knowing that it's coming from a place of love or care, but also knowing that people might react um, negative to me to you and I think it's by also embracing that idea of like I'm not going to take everything personally if someone reacts to me or negatively I'm going to realize that that's their story and not my story and I can still walk away from that situation with self-love and confidence and the esteem that I walked into that situation with Mm, no, that, that, that's it's really powerful. So I'm glad you played that back. I'm going to really look forward to hearing that back, actually, because <laughs> that's, that's, that's really helpful. And I'll also make a note, actually, for the show notes to, to that to that particular reference you just offered, because that sounds really, really, really helpful. It's, oh, it's an incredible book. I I try to live by the four agreements almost every day because I think it just helps from a place of of leadership, but also self love, which I think is one of the core foundations for leadership. Mm. In terms of the work you're doing at the moment with organizations, Heather, just out of interest, how is this, you know, how do you go into them at the moment? Do you go in sort of Heather consultant and then bring the book in as when it's applicable? Do people know that you're sort of author Heather and you know, their, their expectations of you shifts maybe pre-book versus post-book? You know, what's going on <laughs> for you in terms of the conversations you're having? Because I'm really interested to know how, how is it landing in, in, in sort of certain quarters? Yeah. It's kind of fascinating. Um, so as I'm coming into new organizations, it's more from a, they know me as the author, you know, in terms of they've seen the book or had a recommendation, something along those lines. But it's been interesting to have clients that I've continued to work with. So pre-book and post-book, that it's kind of this um, awkward scenario of, you know, they knew me before and I had credentials before, which was good and fine, but it's different now that having a book. And so I think it's interesting. Um, people give me a little bit more credibility based on the book. And it's kind of a funny thing to look back on as the human Heather, like I'm, I'm the same person like that I was then and that, <laughs> that I am now, like, why do you want me to speak now? Like, it's just interesting. So um, I think the book obviously helps people understand where I come from and what my beliefs are and the work that I want to do in the world. And 
there's something, I guess, around just having a book, being an author that gives an individual a different level of ability. This makes a lot of sense to me. So I actually had on um, Charles Green from Trusted Advisors. I'm not sure if you know them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Charles is really interesting. He does a lot of work around sales and trust oh. and how the two things are linked. And he's developed something called the trust equation. And where okay. I'm going with this is credibility is mm-hmm. one of the key foundations of building trust. So actually, it's not that you weren't credible before, but actually your credibility quotient has increased since oh. the book because people are now seeing a different level of credibility in you, which is leading to them trusting you potentially more than they did before. Okay. I love it. It makes sense. So yeah, makes it's really, really, really interesting. Yeah. So the trust equation, you might find that interesting, but it's yes. like, yeah, it just popped, it just popped up for me there. That, 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 that resonates for me. Yeah. That, that will make some sense to me. So you, you mentioned beliefs, which I like. So I'd like to come on to that because you mentioned that in the book. You yeah. actually talk about four critical beliefs around connection, growth, trust, and purpose mindset. Would you mind just giving the listeners a little bit of an overview? You know, how did that come about? What is that? How, how did that shape up for you, those four different mindsets? Do we need to sort of evidence all of them to be an evolved executive or is it what, one or the other? Or? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a growth. It's a progression in terms of as we move along our own evolution, our own journey, I think these four growths will show up in some way, shape, perform i don't think by really embodying these four at the end of the journey have you arrived in some way shape or form um but i think they all have an important part to play in our evolution in our own growth process and some maybe more than others at points in time or points in your leadership um you know just as a few examples purpose so the purpose mindset um has a couple different nuances for a ceo leading an organization there's a really important shift around understanding the role of purpose and not just what's painted on a wall or in a brochure around what you do, but kind of that heartfelt essence of why we're doing the thing we're doing and finding a way for their teams and their employees to build upon that in a way that's authentic for them. Um, and, and also being able to weigh it um, for me, purpose always will trump profit. I know we need profit to keep businesses um, viable and um, growing and all of these things. But I think by pursuing purpose, we naturally generate profit. By only pursuing profit, I think so many things um, kind of miss the mark. And so for a CEO, I think there's a couple different nuances for us to think about purpose. But for for, for everyone, so I kind of view everyone as leaders in organizations because we have agency, we have our own directedness. Um, finding, finding what makes us alive, finding what uh, creates a spark, creates joy, creates bliss is really important. And oftentimes it's overlooked or neglected within organizations because we treat employees more just like doers, just do the work. And so finding different ways for purpose to come to, to life in organizations, I, I think is huge. Um, the other one that I'll, I'll mention briefly is growth. And I guess between you, me and the world, whoever's listening, like this is the one that challenges me the most. I, yeah, and I, I talk about the juxtaposition between the growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And for so many of us, we were, I, I was raised in a fixed mindset in that, you know, you, you feared failure and you, 
you didn't want to be seen wrong and you didn't want to take undue risks because that might make you look bad or whatever it might be. And this kind of black and white nature of it all where it, it doesn't create any goodness in our life. It just creates, I think, more of lack. And so being able to shift to this growth mindset, the idea that when we show up and give our all, that's success. Even if it turns out in that we you know, don't succeed to the, to the highest mark that we thought was possible or in someone else's eyes, it's a failure. There's, there's really no failure. There's just learning. And I know that's a cliche, but there's something also about the actual embodiment of that belief within us. And I think it comes back to this idea of self-love. And I, I find myself repeating that in this conversation, but mm-hmm. the, the idea that I'm going to love myself regardless of if I make a mistake or if I say something that I later don't think was the thing I actually wanted to say, or if I went down a path and then learned that that, that wasn't really my path. Like these are all moments of growth and they're moments of us uh, to give us a chance to learn in no way are they, a failure. And I think in organizations, we, we butt up against the fixed mindset continuously, whether it be change initiatives, whether it be trying to implement different kinds of initiative or different kinds of innovation. It just wreaks havoc everywhere. And so that's another huge belief that I think we need to, one, understand what it is um, and see it at play. And then we get to make a choice on whether or not we keep it or truck it. Like it. I, I like the I like the idea of chucking it, but I know it's not always easy. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. it's, not always easy. it's not, at least for me. <laughs> what's the what's the correlation or link for you then, just out of interest, between a fixed mindset and fear? Oh. Oh man. My initial reaction I think was they're one and the same. But um I think a fixed mindset is motivated by fear in terms of the fear that we have for looking incompetent or um, being perceived as weak or not having the answer or whatever it might be is it's all a fear motivated kind of dynamic. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a huge correlation. I have no data to back that up (laughs) other than my own intuition and my own gut on the opposite side, I think is true though as well. In, In the book, I speak a lot around this idea of we need to pull fear out and replace it with love. And when we think about the growth versus fear mindset, growth is fueled by love and motivated by love of self and others. And I hadn't really made that connection before. So I appreciate you, Gary, for bringing light. <laughs> well, well, to, to be honest, I'm so, I'm so intrigued by it because, you know, without talking too much about me on this podcast, but part of my, journey and interest in this area around vulnerability, et cetera, is that I actually overthought my way into a mental health challenge two years ago. So I mm. went from literally being completely fine to I'm not good enough. I'm not going to get that promotion. People are avoiding yeah. me. And what was really fascinating over a period of six months, I went down the rabbit hole of my own mind, went bang, you know, left the business for three mm. days, rang the employee assistance line. And what's fascinating, I've done some work this year, Heather, literally three months ago with someone around the quality of mind and how mind causes his thought sort of creates our human experience without being too spiritual, but you know, that, that, yeah. and it was just this absolute revelation that we all come from a natural state of well-being. When you look at your children entering the world yeah, generally, absolutely. and we layer up our thinking and take us and we learn how not to be well. Mm-hmm. And that was such clarity for me. So I was fearing all of these things that I was telling me, these untruths, yeah. I gave myself a mental health challenge. And I can yeah. say it on this podcast because it's so clear and so true 
and so ridiculous in hindsight, but it's yeah. so easily done. Yeah. Our minds are, are amazing and they can be such allies and enemies at the same time. Yeah, it's just, just fascinating. So I just thought it was mm -hmm. helpful for any listeners if that, just to reiterate that point. Yeah. Um, I want to come on to something a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I like, I like the comment in your book, Heather. Um, I saw the workplace sucking the soul and energy out of the best laid plans <laughs> and most beautiful people. I just love that as a statement. Where, where did uh, that come from? Was that a personal experience? Was that, was that something else? That was a personal experience. So the... It's, it's kind of a tough analogy when you say it out loud, like work is soul sucking. Um, and, I, and I wish it wasn't true, but in so many cases it's true. And, and many of the clients that I work with right now are, are immersed in organizations where they experience that. And when you say, well, does it feel soul sucking? They're like, oh, it does. You know, because there's like a visceral feeling of like, your your energy or your enthusiasm your joy gets sucked from you because of kind of toxic environment toxic behaviors whatever it might be and um you know it it absolutely came from my own experience and i found that people resonate with it even though it's a little snarky yeah well it resonates a lot with with me personally and what's making me really really laugh um, are you in touch with gary ridge from wd40 well, I know of his work and I'm connected with him in a few different networks, but I've never had a chance to sit down with him. Okay. You two need to meet and have a conversation because he's <laughs> actually got a, a little doll that he's actually had made up called Al, the soul sucking CEO. And he uses it oh. as part of his talks. It's oh. absolutely brilliant. Absolutely I love brilliant. it. Yeah. You, you two need to speak. You two definitely need fun. to speak. He's very cool. Um, no, thank you for expanding on that. That's really, 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 really fascinating. Um, Something else I really enjoyed reading in your book, and it's something I've experienced in my own work, is this. You talk about the, the importance for more love-based organizations to drive more information to the people, or sorry, more mm -hmm. decisions, yeah. more leadership to the people that actually have the information. Do you mind expanding on that a little bit? Yeah. So one of the core elements of love at work, I think, is this idea of autonomy. And so freedom and autonomy, giving people back their freedom and autonomy to do the work that they do best. And I think organizations have been structured in the past to, you have this hierarchy of leadership that does the thinking and makes the decisions. And then you have the workers who do the work. And I think that is just completely broken. And instead we need to realize that if you're not hiring people that are knowledgeable that are talented that can do the work that you need to do um that's a, a leadership malpractice for sure but if you are you need to give them the opportunity to actually do that work and it it means bringing decisions down to a local level so finding processes or practices that allow a local team to make the decisions they need to make with the authority they need that they need in real time but it also goes along with the idea that we need to give our organization more access to information. And so transparency as it relates to data, whether it be financial, customer information, you know, the, the, the data that they need to be able to make good decisions. And I think there's some, you know, bottlenecks within organizations where we hoard information to feel powerful or in control that only um, defeats the purpose of the organization, makes individuals suffer in their ability to do work. And so I absolutely believe that to evolve as organizations, we need different practices. And one of them being being able to have different systems that allow decisions and information to kind of permeate through all levels of the organization. 
And, you know, if you're familiar with the practices within kind of the self-management realm, there are many good practices, whether it be the advice process, integrative decision-making, um, radical transparency, all of these things um, can help us move down that path. But I think it is one of the telltale signs of health within an organization. And, you know, kind of the more um, bottleneck these things are, the, the less healthy, the less ability we have to be adaptable and nimble and survive these kind of turbulent times. Mm. I think li listening to you talk and describe so eloquently has just really fascinates me because I'm going back to where we started this discussion with eight times, <laughs> yeah. you know, eight, eight X result of being more human centered versus just metric, myopic metric focus. Right. Yet we're still talking about an awful, you know, an awful lot of established practices, lack of change, mm -hmm. fear at the top, whatever it may be. What, yeah. what, what's it going to, okay, your book's one part of this story, but what, is, what do we think the sort of, I know these aren't sort of magic, these aren't magic solutions, but what is the biggest gap in your opinion between getting from where we still are in many organizations to getting to this more love-based states, more in, in more of the mainstream? What, what, what's the sort of overarching themes? For yeah. Yeah. So this is from me and you're going to find different perspectives from anyone you talk about. But for me, it comes down to the human. It comes down to the, the leader and whether that's the leader of the team, the leader of the organization, leadership on the board. If we can't find a way to see the beliefs that keep us where we are, or at least have designed the systems that we live in today and identify beliefs that might take us to a new level, I don't think we're going to create the change. And I've tried to do this internally when I was in, in corporate America, you know, at the level that I was at more of kind of that mid-level grassroots kind of moving up into the leadership level. And you'd get, you'd get a little progress, you know, you'd get a little momentum going until someone at the C-suite didn't like it or lost control or felt threatened and it would be completely, you know, kiboshed. And so it's, it's, it's led me to where I'm at today in terms of, you know, I, I love working with leaders who want to create a difference. Those leaders that feel frustrated about, I know there's a better way, but I don't know what it is. Like I've got a pretty good sense of what we need to do in terms of rewiring beliefs, installing new practices, engaging all of the organization but we also need a leader who's willing to try to do things different. And so for me, the biggest bridge is really supporting those leaders who want to do things differently. Uh, that really resonates with me as well, because you're looking, it's almost this curiosity piece, isn't it? It's actually almost just, can these leaders be again, back to vulnerability? How can I actually not have all the answers and bring in someone yes. like Heather or Gary or a another and actually just say, look, help me. So I don't yeah. have the answers to go from where I'm at and where I want to be. So yeah. I, I do see this, it's quite a tight link, this, this deep humanness, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> Absolutely, because I think um, at the end of the day, you know, to support the work that you're doing without having some vulnerability, there's no really ability to change mm -hmm. because we have to be willing to let go, to admit at least to ourselves that things have to change. And that's a really hard statement for most of us. And so being, being okay with that level of vulnerability is, is huge. Well, look, I'm conscious of time. Once again, 45 minutes, whoosh, disappeared. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, who or what is inspiring you the most right now? Person, it can be work, it can be personal mm -hmm. life, it can be anything. 
but who or what is inspiring you the most right now? Well, your work is inspiring me right now, um, for sure. And uh, you know, Raj's work around the healing organization is, uh, I like, I talked to him in October. I was like, when is your book coming out? I mean your book. Like I, um, I'm also in this interesting space of I know there's a shift for me going on. I don't really know what it is. And there's part of me that knows the importance that I, ha that I have in sharing this message, but I also know that I need to do it. Like I need to be a model of this way of being in, in a bigger, maybe different way. And so that work is really inspiring to me. Um, Great. I, yeah, that's probably what I'd say the most right now. No, perfect. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, look, as we, as we wrap up, how can people get hold of you? If people want to have a further conversation with you following this podcast, what's the best way to reach you? You know, the best way is email. So my email is heather at untetheredconsulting.com and, or jump on, you know, the, my website, which is untetheredconsulting.com and you'll see all sorts of blogs and resources there. Um, and you'll find all of my uh, feeds on social media. And, you know, I, it's, it's just fascinating to chat with people. So please don't hesitate to reach out, even if it's just for a thought partner. Great. Well, look, I'll give you the last word, Heather. What, what message would you like to leave with, uh, with the listeners today? Oh, you know, I would say choose love, even when it feels scary. Lovely. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today. Been great thank to you as well, you. Gary. Cheers. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Take Hi there, this is your Values Through Vulnerability host, Gary Turner, just wrapping up this brilliant podcast with Heather from Untethered Consulting. I was so grateful for the insights and the wisdom that she shared with me today. You know, there's so much that I took away, but if I just keep it to, to, to three main areas, one was her definition of vulnerability, where she spoke about letting yourself be seen. So often in the world of work, in particular at home, but particularly at work, we're wearing masks, whether it be a mask of fear, a mask of invulnerability, a mask, a joker mask, as I've often worn in the past to fit in with alpha male environments. We're so often just wearing these masks just to survive in a workplace. And that tells me one of two things, either there's not a good culture fit between us and the organization we work for, or maybe we're not intentionally aligning as well as we should. Or otherwise, maybe it's more simple than that. Maybe it's just we just don't have the confidence to be our true self, to show more of that true self. And I think back to Heather's definition around letting more of ourselves be seen. What could it look like if you just re remove just a bit of that mask? Maybe go and talk to someone that doesn't look like you. Maybe have a conversation with someone that's from a different background to you. Just start to be a little bit more vulnerable, show a little bit more of yourself. I really, really love that reflection from Heather. I also wanted to reference a couple of the, the wonderful resources that uh, Heather spoke about. She spoke about Raj Sodia's Firms of Endearment. She also spoke about how her own organization, where she got the inspiration for her name from, which was from Michael Singer's work around Untethered Soul. And she also spoke about some work, which I haven't heard about before, called The Four Agreements, which comes from someone called Don Miguel Ruiz. And I will make sure that all of these references are in the show notes. And finally, I really enjoyed how Heather spoke about that growth is fueled by love and motivation, but not love of just others, but also love of ourselves. And I think so often, myself included, I'm sure all of you listening, we often prioritize other people, other people's um, work, other people's requests over our own. And I think it's so, so important in the future of work 
that we really prioritize our own self-care we give ourselves the time that we need to recuperate to reflect you know some downtime just just to be alone just to slow down just to allow our ourselves to be present just so we can really tap into that innate resourcefulness that is within all of us so i hope that you find this podcast interesting please do reach out to, to heather and or myself and offer feedback and as always we're always grateful to receive um, feedback via the podcast app on itunes and again this podcast is value through vulnerability thank you very much for listening really hoping that you enjoyed that exploration on the value through vulnerability podcast you can find out much more about hexo change at hexochangenow.com that's h-e-x-o change now one word dot com you can subscribe to a weekly newsletter at that website which includes information about live stream conversations further service offerings blogs but also our in-person events of which we have multiple each year so i really hope that you'll join us do connect with me gary turner on linkedin and i really hope to hear from you soon